Hello. How do you do? Welcome to California PC 187, the podcast. 187 is the penal code in California for homicide. Brett, Cheryl and we focus on murders that have taken place primarily in Los Angeles County. Some of the details might be grimy and disturbing. Brett and Cheryl sometimes use potty mouth words and Dutch occasionally barks. Listener discretion is advised. Murder! Murder, murder, murder. You got away with murder. You got away with a lie. Sergeant Turrentine says cops are following every lead. We analyzed um, uh, uh, tons of evidence, but those, uh, unfortunately, uh, we worked uh, everything that we had to a point where uh, we came into it. We came to a dead end. After five years, the vicious murder of Joe Gazinski is now classified as a cold case. And despite the suspicion of family and friends, police have no official suspects. This crime will definitely be solved. I would say to the person that uh, killed Joe Gazinski that, that the Torrance Police Department is re- going to be relentless in, in our pursuit of you. Let's honor. Perfect. So that was a clip from the episode that we're going to do today. It's about the murder of Joe Gosinski. This is Cheryl. This is Brett. And Dewey's here. She's back there pouting. And this is California PC 187. The podcast. Okay, so before we got this show, the story going, the show going, um, I just wanted to read off our sources. Um, Beach Cities Mustang Club, Joe Gosinski Memorial Site, Beach Cities Mustang Club, um, and then have the website there. Um, it's the it's https it's beach bcmcmustang.homestead.com. Um, suspicion grief still surround 2010 Torrance auto shop owners slaying by Larry Altman of the Daily Breeze that was written July 25th 2015 and um, Mustang Strut Tower Brace Benefits and that was written by someone named Tyler Rodriguez uh, for LMR 
Okay, so. How you doing, Brett? Pretty good, Cheryl. Are you? Yeah. Are you doing good considering everything that's been going on? Pandemic? Death. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that's a separate issue, but yeah, pandemic and being in the car all the time, 24-7 together. Yeah, and if anyone's listening, please wish us luck and hope that we get a new car because our car died, we're stuck, and we have no way of working, and it's... Anyway, so now we're going to podcast. We'll get one, we'll get one. Something good's going to happen. Yeah, something good is going to happen. It always does. Yes, and everyone stay safe and wear your masks and take care of yourselves, and you know what? Um, you never know what's going to happen to people in life, and so you should always tell them that you love them, that you care that care for them. Give them a compliment. Tell them what you think about them. You know, positively, of course. Um, <laughs> I love you, Cheryl. I love you, Brett. You look cute in that outfit. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here we go. Joseph William Gosinski, I have a hard time saying his name, um, was born on October 23rd, 1966, in the state known for manufacturing automobiles in Michigan. Throughout his early years, Joe and his family also lived in Ohio and Florida. At a young age, Joe developed a passion for for mechanical devices like remote control cars and helicopters, as well as a love for bicycles, go-karts, and cars. Joe was a true adrenaline junkie from the start in that he became hooked on going fast. He quickly learned how turning some wrenches and started modifying bicycles, go-karts, and cars in various ways that could make them go faster, higher, stronger, better. He spent his days of childhood with his hands dirty from grease as he was constantly working on or building some sort of device or vehicle, forever challenging himself to be creative and come up with his own ideas on how to improve their performance. So that's a pretty interesting hobby. Yeah. Joe was liked in school and even played high school in high school football in Florida after he graduated from from high school in 1985. So that trips me out, though. I mean, I'm not trying to talk shit here, but he was born in 1965 and he graduated in 1985. That means he, he was 20. <laughs> <laughs> he, was on the, he was on the six year plan. <laughs> Joe's dad gave him, a, him an ultimatum. Enroll in junior college or enlist in some branch of the United States military. Four years later, U.S. Army Sergeant Joseph William Gosinski discharged from his station in Southern California where he decided decided to stay and forge a future out for himself in the performance auto industry. Joe was a little weathered from having participated in the, in the Persian Gulf War. But the experience in the military gave him a darker, more handsome appearance, as well as a deeper knowledge of himself and the goals he wanted to accomplish for himself upon returning to the States. He was focused and ready for anything. The possibilities were endless. My mouth is so dry. Um, yeah, he did have a different look when he came back. He, from, he uh, looked a lot older. Yeah, I guess it, uh, it would weather anybody over there, the stress and the... Uh, I guess PTSD or the com- being in combat because he did look a little darker when he came back. He did, didn't he? Yeah, and he had a just he had he didn't have a uh, I would say he had more of a light before he went, and then when he came back, he was had more of darkness. Yeah, like kind of shadow over. Yeah, him. Yeah, kind of like a shadow over him. I, I, yeah, from what I understand, that's what happens. I mean, how could it not? <laughs> Seeing all your 
compo- your what, what do you call it? your co-soldiers? Is that what they call it? Oh, I, your comrades. I guess, okay. or, yeah, I guess they call it in Russia, but whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I just know he looked darker when he. he tell the difference yeah you can tell you've been through some stuff joe's pretty much self-taught mechanic so although he wanted to open up his own business immediately if not sooner upon discharge he made the smart and calculated move of getting a job working for saline autosport in corona california after all even an expert can learn new things and i think that's interesting that he worked for saline autosport because they originated in michigan so he kind of like stick into his I think he got a job there as you know, as just a person that works for sailing. Yeah, I know, but yeah. but but there are a Michigan-based company, and he's right. from Michigan. Right. Okay. He moved to Huntington Beach, California, which is an affluent beach community in Orange County, where he rented an apartment with friends. In 2002, Gosinski and a friend opened Chicane Sport Tuning, and Chicane means like chicanery, and like a trickster. Like tricking, you know, I had to look that up, okay? Because I was like, what is chicane? Yeah. Basically, it's when you take a motor and you tweak it out to make it go faster. You put aftermarket uh, products on it. Yeah, you, yeah, you trick it out. Right. You, you change it. You alter it. Right. You, okay. Nitrous oxide, a supercharger, whatnot. In a promotional video for chicane sport tuning, Joe stated the mission of the company. We like to design. We like to build. We're idea guys. If you can articulate what you want out of your car, we can give it to you. Whether it's a Mustang, whether it's a Camaro, we like American muscle cars. That's what we like to build. <laughs> I'm sold. Right? Joe was not only an only elite at turning wrenches on high-performance cars, he also invented parts for them to make them perform, perform better. For example, he created a strut tower brace, which is an automotive suspension accessory. He, that reduces chassis flex and improves suspension performance. A saline factory based in Troy, Michigan produced 1,600 for use in their saline Mustangs. This, among many other innovations and inventions, helped Gosinski to quickly gain the reputation as the go-to guy in the performance Mustang world. I don't even know anything of what I just read because I need to let you guys know that I know nothing about cars. I had to look up what a strut tower brace was um but whatever he invented it i guess and so he's you know he's creative an innovator you know um i looked it up online and there was many of those many 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 people i guess they're different versions of it isn't the only one well his is for the saline mustang six yeah and that's the other thing that i looked up um since since Mustangs started coming out, they have been the number one selling sports car in the world, in the entire world since they came out. So that's a trip. True. It's, it is true. Yeah. Somewhere along the line, a cable television show, The Learning Channel, better known as TLC, had a show called Overhaul that featured Joe on it as a Mustang expert. It felt to Joe like he had arrived. His star was shining bright and was only going to get brighter. According to John Schultz, he was the up-and-coming superstar of the Mustang world. And John Schultz was his quote-unquote best friend, because there's a couple people that say that they're his best friend, but, you know, I guess maybe they both were. In 2002, a petite, pretty woman named Rachel Galera was referred to Gosinski to get her Mustang dyno-tuned. 
They seemed to hit it off immediately and began dating. It was not very long before she and her daughter moved in with Joe and in their own pad in Huntington Beach. Rachel had just as fiery a temper as her mom, as her man. Excuse as her mom. <laughs> she had just as fiery a temper as her man. And the two tore at each other publicly for years. While others seemed to hate on their contentious relationship, Joe and Rachel seemed to be getting along just fine, battering each other and engaging in horrific shouting matches. And, you know, that's the thing is that sometimes that's the dynamic that people have with each other. You know, like I grew up in a family that was very, um, we were very, we could be very vicious to each other on the one hand, but then on the other hand, let anybody outside the family try to be vicious to one of us and you're going to fucking get your ass kicked. And it really, it's to people that didn't grow up that way or didn't ever have that kind of dynamic in their family. They don't understand that it really doesn't mean anything, you know, whereas you, you're someone like me, it comes from that kind of a dynamic and you try and go at somebody that hasn't been, you know, that isn't like that. Cause when you first start out, you know, building relationships and stuff, you think that everybody's like that. Right. And right. Then, then when you find out that they're not and their feelings are really hurt, they never want to speak to you again. I don't know. So a lot, there's, there's a lot of people that are very shocked by by people that are straightforward and blunt and say, you know. Well, I think your dynamics in your family was was, was good. So. Okay, well, Brett, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not putting it down. Right. I'm saying that it is what it is. Right. Sometimes people are just like that with each right, other. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they don't love each it other. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. Right. But to, but others from the outside looking in right. could think, you know. That, exactly. That that's either. really fucked up, right. and they hate each and other. Judge it, prejudge it, and they don't really really understand what it means. Yeah, they think that you you have to constantly. Right. That the only relationships that are going to ever work in life are ones that, where you know everyone's getting along and agreeing with each other at Which all isn't times. Realistic. Okay. Right. Yeah. So that's just all I wanted to say. Right. According to Torrance's Daily Breeze newspaper crime writer Larry Altman, Rachel Galera recalled the morning of Christmas Eve when she discovered her boyfriend's dead body inside his shop. He was supposed to have stopped by the Westminster Mall to pick up presents for Galera's dad, for Rachel's dad, and her daughter before heading to their home. She expected him to arrive between 8 and 9. After he did not respond to many texts and calls, Rachel took her 13-year-old daughter with her for the drive from Huntington Beach to Torrance to check up on her boyfriend. So she said that the last time that she called him was about 11.30, and that's when she's like, uh-uh, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to check, check, see what he's doing. You know, who knows what was going through her head. She probably, maybe she thought he was up to no good. Who knows? Um, I'm sure she didn't consider that he was dead. Um, so was this, a, was this a kind and loving relationship that they had, or what was it? It was their relationship. That, that's what I'm telling you, right. is that it, it doesn't, that relationships don't always have to look kind and loving to work. Right. What do you mean a kind and loving? I thought we just went over all that. <laughs> <laughs> Keep rolling. Okay. I'm already being suspicious of the, the person of interest. Okay. Okay. So anyway, um, <laughs> okay. So she said that um, that she went to check up on her boyfriend. And she said, it's 11.30. That's when I started worrying. That's when I said, okay, something weird is going on. 
Unable to locate his car at the mall, because she went to the mall first, uh, Rachel and her daughter drove to his Torrance shop, which is about a 45-minute drive. Um, a light was on, on, was on inside the business. Followed by her daughter, Rachel said she opened the door, spotted her boyfriend lying on the floor next to his cat, his cat, next to his cat, oh, next to his car. <laughs> um, his cat was in the car. I put car, cat, and quickly blocked her daughter's view and directed the child to go to the car and call her dad, so to call her grandpa. Right. Um, and then Rachel said, quote, I ran to him and I just panicked, pure panic. I can't remember if I picked up the phone and called 911 or tried to wake him up. I screamed for my daughter to call my dad. Torrance police arrived quickly by 1.13. So, say she left at 11.30. She probably got there about 12.30. And they went to the mall first. And then they went to... um, So, I'd say she probably got there about 12.45 at night. Um, Torrance police arrived quickly. And by 1.13 a.m., the Los Angeles county coroner pronounced Joe Gosinski officially dead and it was the morning of Christmas Eve 2010 um, so he actually was murdered on the 20 what the 23rd right no it was the 24th yeah. so he was actually murdered on the 23rd but you know from our, our past previous podcast that we did on uh, death, you know, like the and time of death and all that stuff, um, we learned that a person isn't actually uh, they're not the, the day that they the, the day that they put down their death to be is the day that the an, an official coroner sees them or you know what I'm saying? Right. So until the, until the coroner actually sees the person dead. Yeah, and, and pronounces them dead. Then yeah, that's when they're dead. Then that's the day. Right. So it would be. Because the coroner arrived at 1.13 a.m. on December 24th, the morning of December 24th, that's his, you know, he died on December 24th. Right. So, the autopsy report... Oh, wait. She, and then she said, um... Rachel went on to say, uh, he, she said, they said he's gone. So, from that time, there's no emotion. I can't cry. I can't breathe. Nothing. You were trying to think, what the heck happened? I hope this is a dream. The autopsy report showed Gosinski died prone on the cement floor, his head on a floor mat. An Allen wrench rested above his head on the mat, and a can of WD-40 was touching his right upper arm. The killer, the autopsy report said, struck Gosinski in the head and shot him. Scratches on his hands, right shoulders, and back appeared to be caused by tools and indicated he had held his hands up to deflect the assault. The only missing thing from the shop was a safe. Gosinski hid in the floor of a secret second floor office. He was known to keep a minimum of $30,000 in the safe at all times, just in case someone showed up with a muscle car to sell or something, anything, you know, that he might be interested in uh, and something that he he wouldn't be able to pass up like, and he just wanted to have the money just Cash to buy it. Hand. Yeah, just to buy it right then and there. Yeah. From the gate, friends and family had pointed the finger at Rachel Galera. Either she committed the murder alone, or she knows the person or people who did it. They claimed her motive was revenge for the fact that he was 
quote, getting ready to leave her, and she didn't want to let go of her cash cow. On the cash ep- cow. <laughs> on the episode of True, I know right, True Crime Unsolved, his best friend John Schultz and president of the Beach City's Mustang Gang, no, it's the Mustang Club. Mustang Gang. I know, swears on his skin that Gasinski had a down payment on an apartment in the South Bay and was setting, setting it up getting ready to move out because she wouldn't leave so he was going to leave supposedly and he's just trying to misdirect yeah Rachel has has been (laughs) Rachel has been steadfast over the years in her claim that the accusers are all wrong and that she and Joe were engaged to be married and they never intended to go anywhere without her or he never intended to go anywhere without her maybe or her were, daughter. Maybe they're just going old-fashioned. They weren't going to see each other until they got married. No, and you know what? I, I don't know. I believe... Uh, why would he... Look it. If he hated her that much, why is he going to the Westminster Mall to get presents for her dad and her child? Right. Okay, so... I believe it is safe to speculate that following his death, many people not only wanted someone to blame as well as acquire as much of Joe's money and valuable assets as they could, and that attitudes, actions, greed, false accusations, and bitterness prevailed in the race to get a piece of Joe before someone else did. Apparently, one of Joe's brothers arrived in California ASAP from Michigan and took off with two of his expensive, high-performance vehicles. Rachel expressed that she would like to have a car for her and a car for her daughter. For... Her daughter, she said that um, Joe would have wanted her to have a 700-horsepower Shelby Mustang. <laughs> you wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Rachel's request caused Joe's family to become suspicious of her, thought her to be tacky and heartless, and the rumors and hateful harassment and accusations of Rachel Galera, uh, part in Rachel Galera's part in Joe's murder grew more frequent and vicious. From personal experience, I can tell you that when someone dies, even a broke person, even a broke person like Shro, right? Um, that many of those left behind show up to see what, if anything, they can take of the dissident's belongings. People can get ugly and vicious and often lose sight of the loss of the loved one who has passed from this life into the next. That's true. It is just so true. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. According um, to the website Find Law, and I, I, I just wanted to, because he, he died without a will, so I just wanted to read, ow, I just wanted to, I just, fell. I just wanted to go, you know, over this a little bit to see, you know, about what happens if you die without a will and you're single. If you're single and childless, your parents will receive your entire estate if they're both living. Otherwise, it will be divided among your siblings, including half-siblings, and your surviving parent, if one parent has has already died. If you have no surviving parents at the time of your death, then your entire estate will be divided among siblings in equal parts. If there are no surviving parents, siblings, or or descendants of siblings, nieces, and nephews, then the relatives on your mother's side would inherit one half of your estate with... What happened? What's going on? With one half of the other, the other half going to the father's side. So, um, the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because 
Joe's mother and uh, sister came racing down here too. And it, it seems like a lot of drama got stirred up. And it all got stirred up around Rachel, you know. And um, quite honestly, the Torrance police did uh, interrogate her. And they cleared her. So there's no reason to believe that she had anything to do with it or that she did it. No, I don't think this, I don't think they just cared for her. You know, I, I, just, I, yeah, I just don't think they liked her either. Right, and that's all that was. I don't. They wanted someone to blame. Yes. And, and, and I think that his friends that witnessed their relationship, like at barbecues or at car shows or whatever, right. uh, saw them fighting, bickering, arguing, and just thought it, you know, just made it, it made them right. uncomfortable, so they right. automatically said she did it, you know? Right, and that's wrong. That is wrong. That is wrong. For everyone to be pointing the finger at her like, yeah, I can't. Okay. So... From the year 2000 to 2010, the Torrance Police Department had only two unsolved murders out of thousands that had occurred in their jurisdiction. Joe Gosinski's murder is one of the two that has remained unsolved. And you heard that that detective said, we will solve this. Yeah. Okay, well, it's been 11 years, but I believe that they'll solve it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Detectives have absolutely... Detectives have absolutely no clue as to who the perpetrator or perpetrators could be, and no one has even been named a person of interest. She was not named a person of interest. Rachel has never been a suspect, in spite of Joe's family and friends being so vocal about their conviction that she either committed the crimes or was behind it. And this is what we've learned from the word on the street, Brett and I, okay? And I'm not trying to badmouth... the victim here, not at all. I hope that they, um, I hope that they solve his murder. I think it's very sad and lonely, you know, they're in a shop by himself. I don't know, people are just dicks, you know? Um, and he had a big shop. He had like a warehouse and it was full of, uh, custom high performance cars. I mean, he, he appeared, for all intents and purposes, I don't know what his financial situation was, but he appeared to be pretty well off. Um, so, we just so happen to know an expert of dyno tuning Mustangs, and who even invented a chip of his own that helped revolutionize the performance of Mustangs. We are choosing to keep his identity anonymous. Right, Brett? Yes. Okay. It's, it's actually one of Brett's best friends, because Brett used to also you know, work on cars, Mustangs and stuff with this guy. We called him and asked him if he knew who Joe Gosinski was, and he said yes and immediately got into what he had heard about the murder. He was mostly positive in his recollection of Gosinski. He didn't really badmouth him at all. But he eventually said that he could understand how the killer or killers could be any one of many people and like the entire South Bay and the entire um, uh, Mustang world, uh, his girlfriend, it could be, it could be anybody. Um, because uh, Joe intended to play dirty with con- with his contemporaries. For instance, he claimed that he was a dyno tuner to his clients, but would actually outsource the intricate work to our friend to do and take all of the credit for himself. And he would also like, um, like, 
like snap his fingers and be like, you know, you need to make me priority and my customer's priority, even though he had his own shop, you know? Right. He would always make sure, he would always try to get him to put his customers on hold so he could get it first. Yeah. So he could get done and get back to his clients and say he did it because it was always on a time frame, so. Also, our friend told us that he only had two credit chargebacks. And what that is is when the credit card uh, reverses because it was a um, fraudulent, fraudulent credit card. After 22 years. Yeah. So the entire time he had, he had his business for 22 years. Okay, so out of 22 years, he only had two chargebacks. And they were both, they were both clients of... Uh, Joe's. It's <laughs> not funny what I say. Well, I mean, as the story goes on, you can see why this might have happened. Right? Them, yeah. Okay. It was also known that Gosinski had in possession a couple of big-time drug dealers' Mustangs. Uh, at the time, they were arrested and sentenced to prison terms for, you know, two to five years or whatever. So he, he, had, he had some clients that were not, you know, that were criminals. And um, He was more than happy to let them store their cars there. Yes, and allegedly they spoke to Gosinski and were assured by him that their vehicles would be kept safe in a shop and waiting for them upon their release. To the contrary, Gosinski put liens on the vehicles and either sold them or kept them for himself. And in so much as he was a kind person who raised money and gathered tons of toys with his uh, friend John Schultz every year and for tots, like he did, they did their own little toy, to, toy for tots kind of thing. And they would collect presents, and then they would, um, every Christmas day, they would pass them out to needy children. You know, and they had a lot of fun doing that. So even though that was a good side of him, he also had a very dark side in which he was verbally abusive to the people who worked for him, and often calling them stupid idiots and worthless. Huh. Not too many people could take his moodiness and name-calling for very long and would quit or get fired. He fired a longtime best friend, a man by the name of Renee. After, and after Renee finally stood up to him regarding the verbal abuse, Kaczynski was dishing out to him. To add insult to injury, Joe made certain that Renee would not be able to collect unemployment. In the episode of true of the Unsolved True Crime show that we watched, um, Renee expressed that Joe was challenging to work with because moments following a nasty name-calling episode he would suddenly smile, crack a joke, and buy lunch for everybody. Upon discussing Joe goes... But you know what? This is what I noticed, too, though, is that... <clears throat> I think that... Because Brett's friend, he can kind of get a little irate, too. And I think it's when, you know, it's their business, they're in charge, and they're supposed to be the expert, and they have this big reputation, you know, like... Uh, they don't want anyone to fuck up, you know, and make them look bad. Or they don't want to, especially with the, with the, I mean, these are really expensive cars. Anything gets fucked up on them, then they're going to have to pay for it. You yeah, know? they're perfectionist. Yeah, so they're perfectionists. Okay. It's like, what is that? Okay, upon discussing Joe Gosinski's case with a longtime friend of mine, who used to be sort of a big drug, a big deal in the world of drug dealing. Um, this was a long time ago, like, I don't know, 2007, 8, 9, 10? I don't know. Um, 
<clears throat> she said she had been to Gosinski's shop in Torrance several times to deal him methamphetamine. She claimed to have hung out with him in his supposedly secret office upstairs, and she knew where oh, there, there was a safe in the office. She said matter-of-factly that Tweakers did it. That was her. That's exactly what she said. She said Tweakers did it. Um, she has always been a brutally honest and straight-up person, even admitting to her own shortcomings, so there's no reason for us not to believe her. However, smutting up Gosinski's character by suggesting he might have been a meth user makes us a little uncomfortable, but we believe it should be considered since detectives have been stumped and over this case and have absolutely no leads. Maybe they never looked in that direction, you know, because they didn't know. Right. Or it's <clears throat> a lot of, I mean, it's, there's no leads. So now we're going to give you our armchair expertise. <clears throat> Are you ready for this? I have a dry mouth. Uh, using our armchair expertise, we have concluded that neither Renee or Rachel had anything to do with Joe's Joe's brutal demise. Yeah, because um, our friend told us that Renee, his friend Renee, the one that had gotten fired, was questioned a little bit. You know, they thought cause that would be motive him not getting him getting denied unemployment, but we don't believe that. Um. We are interested in self-proclaimed best friend John Schultz of Beach City's Mustang Club because he was very involved and invested in Joe Gosinski and the two men did the Christmas presents to uh, every year and passed out presents on Christmas Day to needy children, like I already said. And um, at around 5 p.m. on the 23rd of December... 2010, someone had dropped off a shitload of toys for the event at Joe's shop. Joe called John and excitedly told him about the sizable donations and asked his friend to come to the shop to retrieve the toys. John declined, stating that he was too busy with his elves at his home in Redonda Beach. Elves? <laughs> Remember he said that? Yeah. He did say that. Um... Uh, we believe that uh, John talks too much <laughs> and that he was key in smutting up Rachel to Joe's family as Joe and Rachel's relationship dynamic made him feel uncomfortable however John so that's 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 one thing you could say you know I don't know I just, I just feel like he's a shit mixer and I feel like I feel like a lot of people were talking too much and a lot of people were in each other's ears and it was a lot of gossip going right. around and nobody knows a fucking thing except for the person that did it the Whoa. person the person or persons that did it we kind of got a lot of inside, inside tip on that that he kind of is from someone close to him so yeah so however John however John organized an annual drive for Joe in which a bunch of people drive their tricked out Mustangs in uh, about a five-mile route through Huntington Beach in honor of Joe and to raise money for a reward fund for anyone who provides information that will lead to, to the arrest and conviction of Joe's killer or killers. So that's nice. So far, they've raised, raised about $40,000. Yeah. Um, still, there's been no tips, no nothing. 
My personal belief is that it was random tweakers or thugs from the neighboring city. Okay, because where Joe's shop is located... Don't turn that off, please. Um, where Joe's shop is located in Torrance is... It's on the border of L.A. It's on L.A. Strip and um, Torrance. And... I don't know. Um, it's not in the greatest neighborhood. It's not in the greatest neighborhood. And it was December 23rd. Right? Right. And you think around that time, you know, around the time of Christmas, uh, businesses start closing early a couple days before. And I'm thinking it was pretty desolate that there was not too many business, other businesses open. You know, um, he was probably there alone. He was there alone in his office. Um, and I believe that... Uh, that it was tweakers or thugs from the neighboring city who'd heard about a dude with a secret office and a safe and a lot of money. Uh, it was almost Christmas and they were desperate to provide presents and gedunkery for their families. And that's that's what I think. I think it was three random people, just right. completely unknown people. Like maybe somebody, maybe a friend of one of the the ex-con the ex-cons uh, whose cars Joe didn't get back. Right, or someone could just ran their mouth, you know. I mean, yeah, it could have been anybody, really. Yeah. Because he probably was at the top of, of uh, you know, conversation for a lot of people. Yeah, saying that they knew this guy that right. had a safe because that was the only thing that was stolen was a safe. Right. And So somebody knew. And this is the thing, too, is that, like, to say that Rachel did it, like, okay, so the, the safe is upstairs, right? She's a petite little woman and they waited till like the you know it was Christmas Eve. They waited till there was probably most likely nobody there working. Most people were with their families, so it was probably even though he was there, um, there you know the businesses around them probably weren't yeah. doing much. And think of all the other expensive things that he had in that shop. I mean, he had tools. I right. mean, God knows Cars, what. Tools. Why didn't they drive away with uh, with some of those? Uh, those hundred thousand dollar cars. Right. You know, why did they just go for the safe? And, and and that probably wasn't an easy task. Either they you were know, serious the safe cats. was big. Either there were serious cats that got the tip from somebody running their mouth, and that's why they killed them. Yeah. You know, just 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 because that's how they wanted to do it because they had to move the safe out of there. So they yeah. didn't want any kind of they wanted any kind of uh, loose ends, or they they knew that, that he knew the people that did it. Yeah, and it, he knew the people that right. did it. Right. So it but it wasn't it wasn't anyone like. It wasn't his girlfriend. No. I, I think it, I think it was basically people that were living in the underbelly of life. I believe it was somebody that knew him, that knew of him, that, that probably turned the tip on to somebody else. Yeah, that's what I that's what right. I I mean, I mean. But somebody that knew him, but that right. that somebody that was a criminal. Somebody well, somebody that, that knew them that knew criminals that were serious because when they went in there, if they didn't really know him, that they were just going it for the lick, for the money, for the you know, for the hit. They just, they did it the right way. They killed him. They just no loose ends and went and got the Took safe. Took the safe and left. Right. And then they haven't figured out who it's, you know, so obviously they're professionals. Yeah. Abs and, you're or, right. Or Absolutely. somebody who's keeping their mouth shut and there's someone that knew him. That's probably why they killed him. If they, you know, they, so there's no, you know, if, they, if he knew who it was and he would be able to say something. So that's why they killed him. Well, so look, at, well, so look at, we know somebody, Brett and I know somebody that was killed in San Pedro, New Year's Eve, 2005. And a... A lot of people know who killed him, and nobody's talking, and so they can't. They don't really have any other evidence. That was for what forty bucks. <laughs> yeah, I know, it was ridiculous. So, the, so if nobody talks, nobody's going to talk. And generally, 
people um, in gangs and stuff like that, uh, they don't talk. And why, why should, I mean, you know, they shouldn't, I guess. They're not supposed to. No, they're not, and, and nobody has. They've st- stuck to their guns. So that's why they have absolutely no idea. Because look, you know that they interrogated all of his friends. They interrogated probably everybody that he came in contact with the Mustang world, at least questioned them a little bit. And if they, and if the Torrance police have the highest rate, the, like, what, is, what is that, a 98% freaking rate of solving crimes? Right. Th- th- that would tell me that they're pretty slick. They're pretty shrewd detectives. And if they don't believe that Rachel or Renee or John or any of these, these other people are suspects, then they probably aren't. And that's because they're random strangers that they have absolutely no idea who it could possibly be. No, I don't think they'll ever find out either. Okay. The Torrance Police Department and their detectives are an elite group of men and women who have had tra- who, who, who have trained other law enforcement agencies to perform their jobs in the same way. Their success rate for solving murders is phenomenal. Therefore, that is why we believe that Gosinski's killer or killers were random thugs with no connection to him or any of his associates, and they picked a day and time when nobody was around in the neighboring businesses, so nothing was seen or heard. Joseph William Gosinski was given a military funeral service, 21 guns, and was laid to rest in his hometown of Jackson, Michigan. If you know anything about this unsolved murder that can help get this case solved, please call the Torrance Police Department. And, um... I'm saying please, and then all I have is 310. <laughs> please call them at 310. 911. <laughs> I know, right? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So now I gotta, let's see, police department. Uh, okay. The Torrance Police Department, their telephone number is. It's not even possible. 310-328-3456. Because... This this case needs to be solved. I want to know who did it. So do I. I want to follow up on this with the uh, solved case. This is our welcome back. We haven't podcasted in a while. No, we haven't. This is our first um, unsolved, actually. Yes. I think that we should just run it, run it, not edit it as best. You know, I think I think it's fine just the way it is. Well, so we we decided to go ahead and do this because we haven't done one in a long time. We just we there's just been a lot so. of things going on. Like my brother died, our friend Michelle died. Michelle, love you, mean it, rest in peace, my brother. And it's been very devastating. And um, I just took the death of my brother really hard. Just kind of fell apart. Um, so, but we love our podcast, and we, you know, we want to keep doing it. We want it to get better, and we actually found um, we have a friend that's going to who has a studio, and we're going to going to record it in an actual studio. Right. We have a good, we have a B. Yes, we have a good, we have a good microphone, and, um, and yeah. But I just feel like this is like we're we're starting we're starting over, which we should. And sometimes we'll listen to other podcasts, and I'll hear them all the like the three hundred episode, and I'm like, God damn it! And I started getting. Uh, you know, I start getting, I guess, jealous, envious, or whatever. But yeah. then I realize that you know that, you know that this is for, I don't know. The, the, you know, we're having fun. We love doing this. Right? Yeah, we love it. Yeah. 
And so we hope that people hear it and that they like it. And um, God forbid we're doing the back of a car. <laughs> I know. We're in a car. We're in a Jeep. A Jeep Grand Cherokee Laredo. Daniel, who is dead, he's probably never going to be revived. So um, this week, this next week, we're going to um, go to the auction and see if we can't get us another car. And um, there it is there. Hope everybody stays safe and um, happy Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, um, Happy Valentine's Day, Happy Birthday, all those things that we have not been around. Don't for. let the sunshine fool you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't let the sunshine fool you. I wish everybody a health and uh, prosperity.
Okay, so the more that we think about it and the more that we talk about Joe Gosinski and his death, we are convinced that yeah. he was killed by uh, criminals, like yeah. tweakers. Oh, well, you know, because they went to prison. Well, because you don't, because like, we're, we're having car problems right now, and we're thinking about cars and how people can just put a lien, because I'm looking at auctions, and how people can just put a lien on your car. And so, like, there's these liens, they're called long liens, wherein you, um, you, if you buy a car, if you, if you win a car in an auction that's on a long lien, you have to put down a thousand dollars immediately. Um, like, maybe if if, if you only got it for a thousand dollars and, um, you have to, and you have to wait 10 days for the owner to maybe come back and claim it. You can't just have it right away. If you're in prison for eight years. Five years. Five years for dealing drugs, and you're not going to be able to get to it. Yeah, and so, you know, he made a lot of enemies in that way. Joe made a lot of enemies in that way, and that he took a couple of people's cars. Long-winged. After he had supposedly, allegedly... Verbally made an agreement with somebody to hold their car. Yeah, and so, of course, there's going to be some pissed-off drug dealer, criminal type. And this is what I'm saying, is that... He has a big warehouse with $100,000 cars, luxury, high-powered, elite cars, right? Mm -hmm. And they just fucking... And tools, tools. I mean, he had must have had tools that were worth a lot. There was a lot of expensive things in there. And they just go in there and kill him. And I I think it was they. I think it was... In my mind, it was three people. Two, two, three. Two on the inside, and one is a lookout. Dutch, don't disagree with me. Don't don't tell me I'm wrong, okay? (laughs) I'm not wrong. Um, and they went in there, they bing, bang, boom, they killed him. They shot him in the side. They, he, he went through the side, like, um, it, they shot him in the chest, but through the side. That's what it says. On the ground, probably. And then he fell on the ground. Oh, he might've been under the car. No, they hit him in the head first. He had oh. blunt force trauma on his head. They could've hit him on the ground, though. He could've been on the ground. And- no, he had his hand, he had scratches and stuff on his hands as though his hands were up. Like, yeah, he was well, saying, hey, 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 like, you know. Right, well, he'd get pulled from underneath the car. And here's the other thing is that we know, I know a lot of people that have been in war and a lot of times, but like, so this is why I'm saying that, he, that Joe would have the balls to do that to, to a criminal to, to put a, to put a lien on their car and take it. Um, cause he just thought, you know, I was a Sergeant in the Persian Gulf war. I ain't afraid of no fucking buddy. Cause I know a lot of people that have been in the Vietnam war and they ain't afraid of no fucking buddy. You know, and it's like, sometimes you got to be afraid of people. Yeah, you've never <laughs> been to San Pedro on a Saturday night. <laughs> so, airport. we're convinced that that's what, the, the, that's what it is. And that the police have no clue because uh, who the fuck could it be? But they should look into those lien sale auctions. Or those lien sale. Yeah. The, 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 two, the cars that he took. took over. Yeah, that he bus? took over yeah. that weren't his. Yeah, register it, get it put in your name, and yeah. legally sell it. Yeah, and then find out who those cars belong to. Mm-hmm. And it, within that that group or of people is wherein the killer lies. Cars. Or killers. Right. So I just wanted to say that. I'm sure there's cars in Mexico, probably. No. See, that's what I'm saying. Why wouldn't they just take the keys to a couple of those cars and just jam down to Mexico? Yeah. Or just, just take them somewhere? You know what I mean? All they wanted was a fucking safe. Yeah, to money. me, that's cheap. 
That's cheap. Because they don't even know what was in that safe for sure. Yeah, they could have gotten that safe, got a blowtorch open or whatever the hell they did, or they put their ear to it like on, on Maxwell Smart. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like put up, you know how they put those little doctor things? Yeah. What are those called? Stethoscope. Yeah, stethoscope up to the, to the up to, yeah, listen to the click. I've done that before, safe by the cracker. way. I've opened up a, a, a I've opened up a, 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 what do you call it? A lock that way. Mm-hmm. Um, at home? Yes, I did. Mm. And I listened to the click, 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 and I wrote down each click, and it worked. Anyway, paper. and I got it from Maxwell Smart, mm. the idea. But, <clears throat> anyway. Block of cheese. Shut up. <laughs> she got out of that. Shut up. <laughs> it's like they got a safe down there, they got it open. He's, 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 he, I'm going to put my hand over your mouth. He's clowning me, because I used to, I, my parents put a lock on the refrig- refrigerator door when I was a child, because... When I was a child, when I was a teenager, because I used to steal cheese and eat it, eat it. I used to Double melt block. a whole block of cheese in a bowl and put salt and on, on it wanna, and eat it. Open it up. Don't anybody find out. Take one slice. <laughs> They'll never know. Your hustle could go on for years. <laughs> you had to take the whole block. They took the whole safe. They opened it up. Probably had some baseball cards in there or something. <laughs> you got no money in there. They're like wah wah wah. Billy beer, you know. What assholes! Oh, did it die? It uh, free pass at McDonald's or something, uh, right? Yeah, day pass for the kids to play. Okay, so my phone's about to die, but I just wanted to add this to the episode, so that's what I'm doing. Thank you and goodbye. And call the Torrance police if you know anything about this, because it's an unsolved case and it needs to be solved. Yeah. Because, hey, this guy's from Michigan, which is rad, and he's a person on the face of the planet. Do you know what? Regardless of what you do, they should have taken him to court. Yeah. You know? But they should have taken him to court, but they don't do that, right? They want their cars. Yeah. Okay. All right. Don't let the sunshine fool you. (laughs)